0: Okay, would you please take your copy of the Word of God that I hope you have with you this morning and let's go to uh, the book of Nehemiah, the book of Nehemiah, and we're going to be in chapter 4, and we're going to be looking at verses 6 through 14, Nehemiah chapter 4, verses 6 through 14. Love to hear those Bibles zipping open. They should make that on your phone app if you're using a phone app Bible, that when you open that, a little zipper noise comes out. makes me feel good. All right. I want to ask some questions to get us thinking about what I want us to think about this morning in this text. Is God's work easy? Is it always easy? Or is it not? Is it sometimes very difficult to do because of the opposition in our work for the Lord? both spiritually and from human enemies of the cross of Christ. How come it seems like, even though we know that what we are doing is the right thing to do, and it's what God called us to do, it's a part of his will, how come God lets problems sneak in and sometimes sneak up on us when we don't expect it and get in the way of the progress that we're trying to make for him? God is all-powerful. We believe he is sovereign. We believe in his providence anything can happen. And God can control all things. That's what we believe, and we would be right about that, because that's what he does. So why in the world doesn't he give us success all the way through that ministry without problems arising? Why does he let things come in the way? Couldn't he just stop all that and just make our ministries extremely successful all the time? Well, sometimes we are stopped or we're hindered by our personal health. Sometimes our health gets in the way and we don't have what we need to keep going. Sometimes it can be financial issues. It seems like the Lord needs to provide more for something and it isn't there. And there are times when unbelievers will attack us for what we believe and what we're trying to do, and they might even threaten us if we continue. There are times when opposition arises among God's own people. And within the church, some people make ministry difficult for other people to do. And it's difficult sometimes just to go forward and to stick with it and keep going on. And it could be that the work is just a hard work and it's fraught with problems just by itself. There's always something getting in the way, always something going wrong. Things don't go together as we would like them to go together. Well, I just want to ask you if you've been involved in something like that. And by the way, when I'm talking about ministry, I don't just mean what I do here on a Sunday morning. I'm talking about you. I'm talking about what you do at school. I'm talking about what you do on your job. I'm talking about you as a business owner. What are you doing in your ministry? How's it going with your ministry? What do you think of when you're meeting people? What are you trying to do to accomplish that with other people? And does it ever discourage you? Are you doing anything for Jesus over which you are discouraged maybe right now? What keeps you going when discouragement comes into the ministry? And especially when the enemy and other things are yelling, stop, just stop and give it up and go on somewhere else. One of the things we really like about Nehemiah is this guy is tough and he's tough for God. And he moves forward in ministry regardless of what's taking place on the outside to stop him. So I want to read this for us this morning, starting in verse 6 of Nehemiah chapter 4. And I want you to remember that there are people that are openly opposed to what he's doing, trying to build the wall, openly against him, and trying to shut the Jews down in terms of not building this wall. So we pick it up here. And notice the first words. So we built the wall, and the whole wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. Now what he's saying is, here's all this opposition. We talked about that last time. All this opposition, and the very next words happen to be, so we built the wall. Now, it's not done yet. It's going to be done pretty quick. They say it's done about half its height all the way around. So there's more work to be done. But they're going to try to discourage Israel from doing that anyway. Verse 7. Now, when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the repair of the walls in Jerusalem went on, and that the breaches began to be closed, they were very angry. That's a Hebrew's way of saying they were white hot with anger. They are upset about that. All of them conspired together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause a disturbance in it. But we prayed to our God, and because of them, we set up a guard against them day and night. But don't think that that didn't have an effect on the hearts of the people doing the work. Don't think that they weren't uh, also under a lot of discouragement. Because it says in Judah, this is what they were saying. The strength of the burden bearers is failing, yet there is much rubbish. That word is dirt or dust. Can you imagine the wall was broken down uh, for 140 years or so? There's been dirt blowing around, burying things, and it's just a mess. And we ourselves are unable to rebuild the wall. So yes, they are discouraged, aren't they? Our enemies said they will not know or see until we come among them, kill them. So how, how far do the enemies want to go? They want these people dead. That's what they want. It's not just to disturb them. They want to kill them and stop the work. When the Jews who lived near them, that is the people who were against uh, Israel, the enemies, when the people who lived near them they came and told us ten times, they, meaning the enemy, will come up against us from every place where you may turn. Then I stationed men on the lowest parts of the space between the wall, behind the wall and the exposed places. And I stationed the people in the families with their swords, spears, and bows. When I saw their fear, I arose and I spoke to the nobles and the officials and the rest of the people. Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is, our, who is great and awesome. And fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, and your wives, and your houses. So there's a lot to fight for. There's a lot that needs to be taken care of. And we can't fold and not do the work. And what he says at the end when he looked out and saw that his people were afraid, what he made very clear to them was don't forget The Lord is mighty and powerful and great and strong, and he is with us. Now, God is not just with great kingdoms. God is with you, and God cares about you, and he cares about what you're going through. He cares about what your problems are. He cares about what are the things that are coming against you, let's say, in your ministry and what you're trying to do for the Lord. And yes, he could stop it all. But he chooses not to do that. I wonder if he has a good reason for that. Of course, he does. And we need to trust in him. In verse 6, going back there, if you would with me for just a minute. So we built the wall. We learn in this verse that believers pray against the opposition, and then from their hearts, they carry on the work. Believers pray against the opposition, and then from their hearts, they carry on the work God gave them. I wonder if you ever thought about the fact that Jesus Christ was often discouraged in his ministry. Uh, There was discouraging things that happened all the time in the ministry of Jesus Christ. I want to look at a couple of those. Matthew chapter 19, verses 20 to 22. There was a young man who came and he said, I want to follow you, Jesus. And he said, I've done done everything the right way. And so the young man said to him in verse uh, 19, all these things I have, I'm sorry, verse 20. All these things I have kept uh, from from my youth, another text says, what am I still lacking? Jesus said to him, if you wish to be complete, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. Look at verse 22. But when the young man heard this statement, he went away grieving. For he was, and let me, let me just uh, paraphrase that, He was a very wealthy young man. It would mean giving up a lot. And he he gave that uh, up, up following Jesus. He gave up following Jesus. And he went back to his possessions. Let's look at a couple more, like in John chapter 6. In John chapter 6 and verse 66, what has happened is that Jesus made a statement in his teaching that a lot of people didn't like. And they were upset. That he said what he did, and they took it wrong. By the way, he didn't actually mean eat my physical flesh and drink my physical blood. He didn't mean that at all, but people took it that way. And then we get down to verse sixty because people are, are start sixty six because people are starting to leave Jesus. And it says, as a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew, and were not walking with him anymore. So Jesus said to the twelve, so these other disciples were not a part of the twelve. So Jesus said to the twelve, you don't want to go away also, do you? And Simon Peter answered and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? Because you have the words of eternal life. And if you turn over to John 16 and verse 32, it says, behold, an hour is coming and has already come. For you, talking about the followers of Christ there, to be scattered, each to his own home, and to leave me alone. And yet I am not alone, because the Father is with me. By the way, before you go away from that, that's something we need to think about. We need to think about the fact that in the ministry, everybody might just depart from us and leave and throw in the towel, but we need to remember that if God called it to called us to that, and we're going to do it, if that's what God wants, then we need to remember Everybody might leave, but Jesus will never leave, and he will always be with us, and he will always work to help us. Service to the Lord and in the Lord's name is a matter of our hearts, and it is also to be prioritized by us. The builders in Nehemiah had just finished praying to God for their protection against their enemies. We walked there We talked there, I'm talking about last week, I'm sorry. We talked there about the imprecatory prayer which he called for God's wrath to come on his enemies and what it meant according to the stipulations God had given about the enemies of God's people. Nehemiah was seeking the protection against the enemies of God who were outside the covenant of God, who didn't care about God, and who were trying to stop the Lord's work. And basically, to turn Mark 9.40 around, what that means is that those who are not for the Lord are against the Lord. Just like those who are for the Lord are are for his ministry. Those who come against the ministry are those people who do not belong to him. They were succeeding in demoralizing the builders, and we saw that in that little saying that they had down in verse 10. Uh, And those doing the work were getting weary. An important part of this was that the builders knew for certain that they were doing the will of God, and God was for them. But even if we know that up here, it's a little bit difficult to get it down here at times when we're feeling the opposition that comes from people about what you're trying to do for God. What are they trying to do? They're trying to build a wall, and that is a ministry that God gave them. He called them to that. So after the prayer, they simply went to work again on what God had as a project for them. The result was that they completed the entire wall to half of its planned height. Now, when we get to Nehemiah chapter 6 and verse 15, it says, get this, it says that the wall was completely built in 52 days. They completely built the wall around that city in just 52 days. Now, these are people that are very discouraged. There's enemies against them. But it was in their hearts to go out and build that wall, and so that's what they were working to do, and they got it done. What was it, and they're not done yet in our text, but I just went ahead there a little bit. What was it from a human standpoint that made them work like this and get it done? I want you to notice what it says in verse 6. It says, so the people had it in their mind uh, to work. Literally in the Hebrew text, it doesn't say that. It says people had it in their heart. People had it in their hearts to do this work. So I'm just going to say this. When we start to work for the Lord, we start to do ministries for the Lord, whatever yours is, whether it's just mostly where you work or the people that you're around or your recreation or you have a job here teaching the Word of God in wana or in Sunday school or something like that, you have to stop and ask yourself, why are you doing it? Is it really coming from your heart? Do you have a heart for this ministry? Do you have a heart for what you're doing? Do you believe God called you to that? It is essential that when opposition comes, what you have at the end of the day is, well, so what? Opposition came, but it's in my heart to do this. And I know God called me to do this. They told us when we left seminary that there's going to be days in ministry where the only thing you're going to have left to hang on to is the fact that God called you to this ministry. Now, God doesn't just call uh, pastors to ministry. He calls all of us, all of you, to ministry as well. Did God call you to do that? And that helps you not to give up. So when we start on a project for the Lord, we need to have a right heart attitude about it. We should ask things like, why am I doing this? Or why am I signing up for this job? Is my heart in this ministry? Am I willing to give it the time that it requires to do a job that pleases God in that ministry? And will I not quit? Is my involvement contingent on whether or not others in the ministry do their part? Or are you willing to say, everybody else can fail or quit, but I'm going to stick with it. I'm not going to give up. What will be my response when I I do get tired and when I do have discouragement? While in the midst of my ministry. Why do I do what I do for God? That's the issue. Is my heart motivated out of love for him? Or am I doing it because I have to do it? Or I feel like I'm guilty if I don't do it? By the way, those last two reasons don't work in ministry. God wants us to have a ministry where we do it because it's in our heart to do. And it's motivated out of love for him. And also, do I believe in his cause? And how what I'm doing fits into that? You know, we all have somewhat different ministries. We all do different things. God has placed us and sprinkled you all throughout our community in different places. He wants you to be the light and the salt in that place. And he wants you to bring the flavor of Jesus to that place. And that's where my heart needs to be. Am I doing what Jesus wants me to do? When a person's heart is in their ministry, everybody can tell that it is. When our heart is not in it, it makes it miserable for everyone else working in the ministry. Now verses seven to nine. The enemies of God's work join forces to stop it. So we must take prudent action. The enemies of God are gonna work hard to take action to stop our ministry, but we must take prudent action to keep it going. In verse seven, the leaders of the people around Jerusalem see the advancement of the wall as a threat to their security, perhaps their prosperity, I'm not exactly sure. They just want to be uh, the big the big leaders on the block. I don't know what it was. It doesn't say, but they don't like it. They're angry about it. The details and issues are not stipulated for that problem. But for some reason, they're not okay with Jerusalem having a defensive wall around it. And it could be that they know uh, Israel's been powerful in the past, and they don't want to mess with it in the future. And so they're trying to stop it. I don't know. Sometimes when people oppose us in ministry, we don't get it. We don't understand. Why are you opposed to this? How can you be opposed to us doing something good? I don't know, but they are. The text says they were very angry. They were burning with anger. Have you been surprised, uh, maybe like I have been surprised lately, at the intensity of the people who in our country hate Christianity right now? We certainly don't see ourselves as they see us, We don't look at ourselves as church people, as followers of Jesus Christ, like we are some kind of a disease that needs to be excised or cut out and and thrown away. We don't think of ourselves as being a part of the society that is ruining the society society, destroying the society. We actually believe that we're a help to society, that we're a strong part of society, a pillar for society. But our culture right now doesn't see it that way. I was listening to SRN News this morning and what they said was in one of their surveys that 78% of white evangelical churches believe that we are going to lose religious freedoms in the, in the coming days. Uh, liberal churches, they say less than half of the people believe anything like that. So the feeling is out there that the world is opposed to us and our own country is. And we may not get it, but that doesn't change the fact that they are. What we do get is... I'd rather have Jesus on my side than be against him. I get that. We bring up our views on creationism, human sexuality, gender roles, the doctrine of hell, morality, and a host of other issues like that, and they are fighting mad. Mad enough that there was a group in the Northwest that decided to burn copies of the Word of God. They have enacted laws against our religious views. God, in many ways, is now illegal in the public schools. In our uh, schools of higher learning, colleges and universities, he is laughed at. In verse 8 here, the enemies of God may, uh, may," may have diverse causes to fight for, but they will join forces when it comes to fighting God and true religion and his people. These four groups form an alliance to terrorize the builders of the wall. They're going to put an end to this ministry, they think. In league together, they want to cause confusion. And that's what the word means there, hostility and strife. In fact, it was very clear, they want to kill these people. That's how upset they are about a wall. makes no sense. In verse 9, God's people respond to the threat. This is the way Nehemiah does it. He always responds first by praying and then human involvement. This is always the way he handles a problem. He lays a spiritual foundation, then he builds on it with human response. And I think that's a good model for all of us. Uh, Dr. Gary Smith, who comments on this passage, says this, and I quote, I'm going to say it twice because it's long. I want you to get this. He says, Trust in God and good management of human resources. When hand in hand, For without God, people can do nothing, yet it usually takes responsible and faithful people who consistently serve day after day, night after night, to accomplish God's work. Now, that's the end of the quote. Let me hit it it one more time. He's saying, how do we handle these problems in ministry? Here's his answer. Trust in God and good management of human resources went hand in hand. For without God, people can do nothing. Yet, it usually takes the responsible and faithful people who consistently serve day after day, night after night, to accomplish the work of God. I think he's exactly right. People that just don't give up. Why? Well, because Jesus is on our side. That's why. They didn't stop God's work. They fortified their work with a 24-hour guard uh, who watched over uh, for the enemy. And they were discouraged at times. Yes. The workers felt pressure. Yes. But even when you're depressed, even when you're discouraged, go ahead and go and fulfill your ministry. Take your Bible and teach those kids. Take your Bible and model to them what it means uh, to, to make ministry important in a person's life. Verses 10 to 13. Discouraged and overwhelmed by the work, they kept moving forward. I don't know why God doesn't just make everything work for us and everything just you know fall into place but he chose not to. And I think that makes more mature Christians. Just think about that. If everything we try to do for Christ never had any problems, I think the first thing we would lose would be faith in God. The first thing we would do is just think it's going to happen anyway. I don't have to have faith in him. But faith is a big deal. It is with God. There are times when we wonder why God is allowing the opposition to be so strong. I think we haven't seen anything yet. It's going to get worse. I mean, God could stop these enemies in their tracks. Well, what will God do, we ask? When God is silent, we have learned that it is our call to be committed in faith to him and to trust him. Another commentator on the text, Dr. Nykalation, we've commented from him before, says this, and I quote, God allows attacks even where we are obeying him. Did you catch that? God allows attacks on us even where we are obeying him. In other words, when we're even doing the right thing, God can shield but does not guarantee it, he says. Now, let me read it together. God allows attacks even where we are obeying him. God can shield but does not guarantee it. You might just suffer while you're in your ministry. That's part of God's program. In verse 10, we get an honest and firsthand look at the discouragement of the builders. Their strength fails. There are mountains of ruins that they're facing in the work they're doing. Uh, those ruins, that word in the text is dirt. And that's where we get Atel, uh, a city called Atel in Israel. Over the years, dirt blows in over the ruins. And then you have to go in. The archaeologists have to dig down. The dirt just covers everything. And the point is, it's a dirty Hard job they're doing. They have to dig these rocks out of the ground. They have to use them over. They're not light. They're heavy. It's a problem. They are completely overwhelmed by the work and they recognize their inadequacy. We can't do this. And that's what God wants you and I to recognize in our ministries. We can't do this. God doesn't want people in ministry who are self sufficient and don't need Him. God wants people that need Him every day in their ministry. We can identify with their pain, can't we? But may I just say, when doing God's work, the best place you can be is completely uh, aware of where you're at and why. I'm here and doing this because of Jesus and what he called me to do. That's why I'm here. That's why I'm doing this ministry, and that we can't do our work on our own with the right heart, and that's where God wants it to come from, and dependence on God, any ministry is possible. So keep moving forward. Don't give up. Don't give up what you're trying to do in the lives of people around you who don't know Jesus and who need him desperately. And maybe they make fun of you and they laugh at you and they won't listen to you anymore. Don't give up. They need a savior. Don't give up. In verse 11, the enemies believe that the Israelites will not be aware of the attack when it comes. They've strategized this thing, and yet because God is in control, it becomes known. There were Jews in verse 12 who lived near the folks like Sanballat and Tobiah and the others, lived near them and, and heard what they were going to do. It's just like that time when Paul uh, was rescued by Claudius Lysias out of the temple, and he's, and he's in the uh, praetorium, he's, he's under lock and key, and there's this plot, these guys swear to their death, we will not eat food or drink water until we kill Paul. And Paul's nephew gets wind of it and saves his life. That's God doing things to help us, isn't it? That's God taking care of things when we need him to take care of things, and he is with us. Well, these Jews say, hey, they're coming. The text says they've told us ten times now. We get it. We have, we, we've got it. That the coalition is coming against them. Sanballat and the Samaritans, they're going to come from the north. Ammon from the east. The Arabs from the south. And the warriors of Ashdod, they will come from the west because they're Philistines. For workers who are exhausted psychologically and physically, uh, these were trying times for these folks in in Jerusalem. This is where having your heart in the program is going to really count. This is where having your heart in the ministry that you're undertaking makes all the difference in the world. The enemy has succeeded in demoralizing the builders, but that doesn't stop the builders. They push forward, even in their pain. And that's the way we should do it, knowing that God's in control. Don't give up. Where there was a room behind the wall, or room, I should say, behind the wall, Nehemiah placed armed citizens there with weapons, of course, of their day. Nehemiah and the leaders were not going to yield to those threats and that pressure. I wonder how we will act when the the pressure and the heat of that pressure is turned up. Uh, by the folks around us what are we going to do under threats and pressure they prepared to defend themselves their city their property and their families as I've talked to Christians about what's going on in our world today uh, their biggest concern is their children and I'm concerned for them too but we need to remember that God is in control of, of them like he is of us who knows how God may call us to stand in the future in our country Will we stand or disband? That's the issue. And then finally, in verse 14, in the battle, we remember our Jesus and we take the best actions we can to defend his people and defend his work. Let's just admit that we do at times have to deal with fear in doing the ministry. Sometimes it's as simple as I'm just scared to death to actually get this person alone and share the gospel of Christ with them. It just makes me freak out inside. I just can't do it. I just don't know what's going to happen. And some people experience tremendous amounts of fear over that. But God will bless you if you take one step in his direction and follow his leading and the ministry and do it. He'll be there for you. Sometimes we are afraid that maybe we can't accomplish what we believe God is calling us to do. Sometimes it's because of strong opposition. Well, I just want to remind you of one of the great prophets of God, a man named Jeremiah, who spent at least four decades trying to figure out how to reach his, his country. And he didn't do that. It didn't happen. There isn't even one person that is recorded who changed their life because of his ministry. And there was many times they tried to put him to death. And he continued day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, standing up for what God says, being hated by his neighbors and his hometown and other people, and he never quit. And at the end of his ministry, he got to celebrate his ministry by sitting on a hill, watching the people that he tried to warn that God was going to bring Babylon down and take them out of here, watching his people led away, some with Babylonian hooks through their jaws. And he wept. He called that uh, the book of lamentation, right, lamenting. That's how his ministry went. Now, I wonder, we may look at that and say, well, you know, Jeremiah, you didn't get the job done. I can guarantee us that God looked at Jeremiah and said, you did exactly as I called you to do. God doesn't guarantee success the way we may think that it should be. God guarantees he will never leave us or forsake us. The remedy is to focus on Jesus today. In Nehemiah's day, they focused on the power of God, who is great and awesome in power. Do not be afraid, because fear kills faith. Some of us need to resurrect our faith in God, and trust him and believe him. Remember, you are fighting for your families, your brothers and your sisters in Christ, and you're fighting for the lives of the people you care about, that you work with, People in your family who don't know Jesus and everyone else who does not know Jesus. You're fighting for them. You're fighting for their eternity, even though they don't know it and don't appreciate it. Well, that's our problem, not theirs. Our problem is to continue to fight for them. We are a team effort for the good of the body. And we are a team effort for the good of our society. That's what we really are. doesn't matter what the world thinks we are. That's what we are. Be encouraged by how you work for the Lord, that it's benefiting people, that it is benefiting the spiritual life of others. Be encouraged, and in helping the family of God especially, be encouraged. We're about done, but let's go to Second Chronicles, which isn't far to the left of Nehemiah. Second Chronicles chapter 32. Verses 7 and 8. It says this. Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be dismayed. Because of the king of Assyria, nor because of all the horde that is with him. For the one with us is greater than the one with him. With him is only an arm of flesh He's just a person. But with us is Yahweh our God to help us to fight our battles. And the people relied on the words of Hezekiah, the king of Judah. That was the words of the king just trying to encourage his people. Let's look to God. Let's trust him together in this. And they did it. And God made them successful in that particular endeavor. The ones who ought to be worried are those who only have flesh as their strength or the demonic horde that backs them in wickedness. I want to look at one more in 2 Kings 6, 15, and 15 to 17. 2 Kings 6, 15 to 17. This is our story of Gehazi and Elisha that we talked about earlier. Now when the attendant of the man of God, that's Gehazi, had risen early and gone out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was circling the city. And his servant said to him, Alas, master, what shall we do? Well, there we have the Aramean army. You know why they're there? The king wants to kill Elisha. You know why they want to kill Elisha? Because everything the king says is in his bedroom in private. Elisha knows, and he broadcasts it. He is telling the king of israel don 't be here or there because the Arameans are going to be there, and they 're after you, so just don 't go there and Finally, the king of the of, of the Arameans says, "I am who and who on my team is on israel 's team Somebody tell me who is mouthing off to Israel so they know everything that i 'm doing and one of his advisors stepped up and said it 's not us we 're not doing that, but elisha, the prophet of Yahweh in Israel tells everybody what you say in the confines of your bedroom. He knows it all, because God's telling him. And so this guy came, and he was surrounding where Elisha was. And the attendant, the man of God, saw it early in the morning, and he was scared to death, so he calls to Elisha. And so he answered, Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with him. Now imagine this guy hasn't seen anything spiritual yet. And Elisha's saying, hey, don't be afraid. Uh, We outnumber them. One, two. (laughs) What are you talking about? We outnumber them. And then he prays, and Yahweh opens up the attendant's eyes, and he looks on the hills all around, surrounding the Aramean army, and it is completely full of the chariots of fire, of the chariots of the warriors of God's angels. They have nothing to worry about. God is in control. You and I have no idea just how powerful and present is the help of our Jesus every day of our lives. If we could see the spiritual world, we'd we'd figure it out. Maybe we would be more faithful, more brave. But let's just have it in our minds that that is true, and so be strong and courageous because your king is with you, as are the armies of the living God. And that's supposed to be encouraging. We're here to fight a battle for Christ, but never alone, never. Well, let me leave these things with us today as we close on this. Number one, it is normal in this sinful world that bad things happen. So in ministry, because of the presence of sin in the world, bad things happen. Only a relationship with Jesus makes the difference in a human's life. Which would you rather have? God on your side or flesh on your side? Number two, our strongest hope in difficult times is always going to be the power and the glory of our God. Number three, when you volunteer to do ministry, please start with a heart that is committed to doing it. And then finally, When we trust in God, when it's all said and done, we will get the job accomplished. We will fulfill the ministry, no matter how difficult it might be. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we live in a world where there is sin, and we know that we ourselves are prone to sin. So we may be here this morning facing a difficult ministry. Or we may be facing other issues in life that don't seem to be related to ministry, but everything that we do is a reflection on you. So we just want to pray about all those things. We ask that when ministry gets difficult, when life gets difficult, we would remember what our Lord Jesus said. Even if everybody uh, leaves him, ditches him, runs away from him, God the Father never will. And the same is true for us. I pray that you would help us to be men and women who are courageous and faithful, willing to move ahead, even in the face of discouragement. And we can do that by your help, and we pray for it. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. you will please open your hymnals and stand and turn to page uh, 610. Uh, We will close by singing Go Now and Live for the Savior. gracious heavenly father in our battle against the enemy may we take courage and boldness and father realize that uh, any good that comes uh, comes from your hand we just thank you father uh, for uh, being with us in times of trouble we thank you now in jesus name amen